A bright, blinding light and music fill the sky. Stand by for a surprise announcement that took the world by storm. That bright light is an angel, and the story is one for the record books. Not just good news, but great news for every man, woman, and child. We are live on the air with a story you simply must hear. Stay tuned. Brings back a few years, doesn't it? You know, beginning with the uh, turn of the 20th century, it really is uh, amazing how the generations born since then, including our own, has witnessed absolutely, without question, the most amazing inventions and technological advances in all of history. I mean, just think about what has been invented just since the turn of the 20th century, from television to computers to cell phones to the radio. It's just absolutely incredible, and I don't think... In, in many ways that no inventions probably had a greater impact on our country and on the world than radio. And the, the reason is the radio of all the devices that have been invented was the very first device ever, ever invented that allowed for mass communication to large groups of people all around the world. For the first time in history, when radio came along, there was a device that you could use to communicate to the masses of people thousands of miles away that you couldn't even see. Just out of curiosity, some of you back uh, back World War II generation, how many of you remember the fireside chats of Franklin Roosevelt? Just just see, just there's a few of you out here. You remember, of course, you can go on the Internet and listen to them. It was amazing that for the first time, a president of the United States could go in front of a little microphone and could communicate to 80, 90 million people in America that he could not even see. And so when radio was invented, you now had this capability of people who were thousands of miles away and their lives could be impacted and their lives could be influenced by the voice of one person speaking into a microphone that they couldn't see, they couldn't even recognize. And now you could literally speak words into the air that would be transmitted through the air and then you would be on the air. And what is amazing about radio to me is that even with the advent of television and the advent of the internet and the advent of the computer, radio is bigger than ever. Did you know that? More people listen to radio today than have ever listened to radio since radio was first invented. And there's a reason for that. In the 21st century, the radio reached the greatest heights of, li of viewer of listening ship it ever, it's ever reached because it was finally able to connect to satellites. Now, if you're like me, for example, my car, I have satellite radio. I listen to Sirius XM, and, and it's amazing. I can turn on Fox News, or I can turn on ESPN, or I, I can turn on the, you know, the 70s, or I can turn on Christmas programming, and, and, and literally all over the world can listen to things that normally you couldn't even get on television 20 years ago. So because of satellite and because of Internet technology, Radio has now reached its greatest heights ever. As a matter of fact, to show you how you can't get away from radio, I don't know if you know this or not, you, your cell phone, all your cell phone does is use technology that was invented at the turn of the century by radio. What it is, what a cell phone is, is a basically a radio thief in, in effect. It has taken the technology from radio and simply turned it into a device whereby you can talk to me or I can talk to you. And even though we seldom think about it, it really is amazing to me still that you can get in your car when you go, when you go home this afternoon, you can get into your car, you can push a button or turn a dial and instantly in real time be listening to an event that's taking place somewhere on the other side of the world because 
it's on the air. It's, it's, it's just astounding to me. And as we enter into my favorite time of the year, we uh, came up with an idea that I'm, I'm really excited about, a series that we're calling Christmas on the Air. Because if you go back and study the Christmas story, here's what you'll find. The birth of Jesus Christ literally was announced, in effect, on the air. Because other than Jesus, if, if you remember the Christmas story, there are really four major players in the Christmas story besides Jesus, okay? There is Joseph, there's Mary, there's the Holy Spirit, and then there are angels. And the first, the, the, they are all pivotal to the entire drama. It was an angel, for example, that first let Joseph know, you're going to be a dad. It was an angel that first let Mary know, you're going to be a mom. It was an angel that announced the birth of the Son of God to the shepherds in the fields. And it's primarily angels that teach us and tell us just how significant the birth of that little baby was. It was angels who let us know who he was, why he came, and why we ought to worship him when we do worship him today. Now, it's kind of incredible that when you think about it, you will hear about angels and about their roles every single day. When you get into your car today, or you turn on the radio, or you're down at the mall, if you'll listen long enough to the Christmas carols, you're going to hear songs that are all about angels. For example, angels from the realms of glory. It came upon a midnight clear. Angels we have heard on high. The first Noel. While shepherds watched their flocks, hark, the herald angels sing. It was angels that first announced Christmas on the air. So what I thought would be fun to do is we're going to take the next three weeks and we're going to go on the air and we're going to listen to what these angels announced over the air, first to Joseph, then to Mary, and then to the shepherds. And we're going to learn some incredible lessons, not just about Christmas, but about life. And so, I, the title of the message this morning is, Don't Touch That Dial. Stay tuned. That's just another way of saying, first of all, just stay awake. That's a, that's a start, right? Don't touch that dial and stay tuned because today we're going to see, and this is what I want you to take out the door this morning. You ready? God is always on the air. God never goes off the air. God's always on the air. God is always speaking to us. Now, the first time we hear angels on the air is in the first chapter of the very first gospel. So, if you brought a copy of God's Word this morning, I want you to turn to the very first gospel and the very first chapter. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in the gospel of Matthew. It's almost about halfway right in the middle of your Bible. And as we gather around and listen to this first Christmas broadcast, I want you to see why it's so vitally important that you always stay tuned to what God may be doing and what God may be saying in your life. See, too often, this is what I find about so many people who, who, who try to have a walk with God. The reason why a lot of you get frustrated in your walk with God is, is for example, there are a lot of you that in, in about three or four weeks, you're going to come up with a New Year's resolution. And, and, and almost one resolution many, many followers of Jesus adopt is they say, okay, this year I'm going to read my Bible every day. And this year I'm going to spend time in prayer every day. And this year I'm going to, to develop more of a quiet time with God every day. And that lasts for some of you maybe a few days or maybe for a few weeks. Some of you may last a month or so. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you've gone two days, three days, a week, a month, haven't read your Bible, haven't spent time with the Lord. What happened? You touched the dial. You changed the channel. 
you may have literally started turning on the television or the radio instead of opening up God's Word and listening to what he says on the air. So I want to share with you this morning, we're going to learn from this man named Joseph. I want to share with you why it's so vitally important that you remember two things. Number one, God's always on the air. And number two, always stay tuned. Don't ever touch the dial because you need to learn what God may be doing or saying in your life. Now, let me tell you several things we're going to learn about God this morning and how God speaks to us and how God relates to us even in the 21st century. First thing we learn is this. We should learn that God acts in unusual ways. God acts in unusual ways. Now, we're in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, even the way that, that the birth of Jesus is introduced is very unusual. When you read the first chapter of Matthew, he takes 17 verses to talk about the family tree of Jesus. He takes 17 verses to talk about the lineage and the ancestry of Jesus. And then he takes one verse and tells us about the birth of Jesus. Kind of interesting. 18 verses. He begat him, and he begat him, and he begat him, and he begat him. 18 verses, he's, he's, he's drawing this family tree. Then when it comes to the most important part of the whole chapter, he takes one verse. But in that simple verse, we learn a very vital truth. Jesus was not conceived by an earthly father. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And when you first read these verses, there seems to be some confusion. Because verse, eight, verse 18 tells us, we just read this, that Joseph was betrothed to Mary. But then the next verse is going to tell us that he was thinking about divorcing Mary. And you say, well, no, wait a minute, I, I, that doesn't make sense. One verse tells us he was betrothed to Mary. One verse tells us that he was about to divorce Mary. And then in verse 20, the next verse we're told that he was called his wife. And so wait a minute, I don't understand this whole deal. He's betrothed to her. Then he's thinking about divorcing her because she is his wife. Now, that may be confusing to us, but it would not have been confusing to a Jew that read these words 2,000 years ago because here's the difference between the way we think about marriage and the way the Jews thought about marriage. We think about marriage as an event, right? So if you get, a, uh, if you get an announcement in the mail somebody's getting married, they will give you the exact date and time of the wedding because we see marriage as an event. The Jewish people, the Jewish mindset was not to look at a wedding or a marriage like an event. To the Jewish mindset, it was actually a process. As a matter of fact, it was a three-step process. First of all, there was the engagement. Now, let me explain this to you. 2,000 years ago in Jewish society, just like they do still today in a lot of, part, a lot of the Middle East, children did not choose, or, or teenagers, or, or when they grew to be adults, people didn't choose their spouses. 2,000 years ago, parents would choose whom their children would marry. Now, that's totally foreign today. I mean, we're living in a culture today. We can't even imagine our parents picking out the person that, that we would marry. But we, we can't even, you know, fathom that. Although I'm sure there may be some of you out there saying right now, I wish they had because they would have done a better job than I did, all right? But at the moment, an agreement was reached. At the moment that an agreement was reached, when two parents came together, two sets of parents, and one set of parents says, I like your boy, and the other parent said, well, I like your daughter, and they both agreed that they ought to get married. At that moment, at that exact moment, when the parents reached the decision, this is who we want our child to marry, at that moment, they were considered engaged. 
It's like a little, I read about a little four-year-old girl, and, and, and somebody said, now, who are you going to marry when you grow up? And she said, well, I'm going to marry Donnie. And, 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 the, and the person said, now, how do you know you're going to marry Donnie? She said, well, because I have to. And she said, well, why do you have to? She said, she said, because all the other boys live across the street, and mother won't let me cross the street. Now, that's kind of the way it was back in the days of, of Joseph and Mary. So mom and dad said, I like your son. Mom and dad said, I like your daughter. Moms and dad said, let's marry these families together. And the deal was done. So in the first stage of the marriage, known as the engagement, this is what was interesting. When that mom and dad and that mom and dad agreed that these children should be married, at that moment in the Jewish mindset and in the eyes of the Jewish law, they were contractually bound to get married. You were contractually bound to her, and she was contractually bound to you. That was the first stage. It was called the engagement stage. Now, once the engagement was done, that led into the second stage, which we read about here in verse 18. It's called the betrothal stage. Now, the betrothal stage was roughly equivalent to what we would call today an engagement period. It usually lasted about a year, and it was a binding contract. Now, this is interesting. It was a binding contract that could only be entered into by divorce. Now, even though the marriage had not been consummated, there was no sexual intercourse at all. It, it, for every intent and purpose, that couple was considered married. And the only way you could get out of that relationship was you had to literally go through the formal process of getting a divorce. So you had the engagement. That's when the parents said, we agree to this. Then you had the betrothal. That was about a one-year period of time when the couple was, uh, they, they, were, they, were, they were what we would call today engaged, but they were contractually bound. They were obligated to get married. And then would come the wedding. Now, again, a wedding back then was different than a wedding today. Today, you know, a wedding from beginning to end will last maybe, you know, I do a relatively short ceremony. So 30 minutes is, is about what a wedding will take, 30 to 45 minutes. Now, if you stay for the reception and all that, it could last several hours. But usually, the whole thing takes, what, three or four hours. Well, back then, a wedding would last about a week. You'd, you'd, you'd get married, but then you have, you'd have guests come into town, and you were expected to prepare food and, and feed the guests, and you were expected to provide the wine. You remember the wedding at Cana. That was a, that was a week-long celebration. So before that, that would be before the marriage was actually consummated. But then when the couple finally came together and they became one flesh, that's when you had the marriage. So everybody with me. You had the engagement. That's when the parents said, you're getting married. You had the betrothal. That was the one-year engagement period. And then you had the wedding. Now, even though the couple was bound together contractually, morally, and legally, they were not to have sexual relations until they were actually married. That's why we just read in verse 18 where, where, where Matthew makes it clear where he said Joseph and Mary had not come together. That in the Greek language, that is a, that's a sexual term. It means they had not sexually consummated their relationship. So everything's going along smoothly, but then a problem popped up. No pun intended. It came in the form of a baby bump. Now, it was very obvious right off the bat that Mary wasn't just eating too many Twinkies. Here's Joseph. He's betrothed to a young girl. By the way, in the movies, Mary's a grown woman. Every Bible scholar will tell you Mary was probably somewhere between the age of 13 and 15, maybe 16 at most. So here's Joseph, and he is betrothed to a young girl, maybe 15, 16 years old, and she's pregnant. 
Now, there's a lot of things at this point Joseph doesn't know, but there's one thing Joseph knows. What does he know, guys? He ain't the daddy. That's what I mean. He knows I'm not the dad. Now, today, unfortunately, that's just not a big deal. Used to be, it's not a big deal anymore. Back then, code red. Back then, 911 emergency. So we read this in verse 20. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, Joseph is called a just man. In the original language, that is a very technical term. It refers to someone who is a serious student of the law, a serious student of the first five books of the Bible. In other words, Joseph was the kind of guy today that would be looked at like, a, like an elder or like a, a deacon or like a Bible class teacher. He was just below the level of a Pharisee. So, in other words, he, he went to the temple. He supported the synagogue. He observed all the holy days. He followed all the food restrictions. Here's a good way to put it. Joseph was an eagle scout. Joseph was the kind of young man that at least from a moral perspective, every mother would have loved for their daughter to marry. So here you've got this just man. Here you've got this Bible student. Here you've got this church-going holy man. And now he's got a pregnant fiance. And she's carrying a baby that's not his. Now let me tell you what a good man Joseph was. Let me tell you what a good guy he was. Legally, he had three options. Option one, he could have her stoned to death. That was the Jewish penalty for adultery. No questions asked. If he declared he was not the father and she would, would even back him up, and even if she didn't, the word of the man, unfortunately, ladies, was always taken over the word of the woman. So if Joseph declared this woman is pregnant and the child is not mine, he could have literally had her stoned because that was the Jewish penalty for adultery. Now, if the husband chose not to do that, he could then have her publicly humiliated. He could force her literally to go to the town square to, to stand on the corner and announce to everyone that she was carrying a baby that was not the baby of her fiance, and she would have carried a scarlet letter on her life for the rest of her life. She would have been ostracized from her town and from her village. She would have been treated as a pariah, and in effect, her life would have been ruined. Well, Joseph had a problem, even bigger than her pregnancy. Joseph loved her. Joseph was crazy about her, and he was a righteous man, and he understood mercy. So he said, okay, there's a third option that he had. He could simply just, in effect, tear up the contract, initiate the process of divorce, and just quietly walk away. And that's exactly what Joseph had made up his mind he was going to do. He's going to, he said, look, I'm going to make this as painless as possible for you. You've already broken my heart. You've already crushed my heart. But I, I don't hold any will, ill will. I do love you. So I'm going to make this as painless for you as I possibly can. And here's Joseph. Now watch what God does. Here's Joseph, and he's about to change the channel of his life. And God says, don't touch that dial. God says, don't you move that dial because Joseph is about to learn what we need to learn. And that is, not only does God act in unusual ways, but we need to learn that we should listen because God speaks at unusual times. 
We should listen because God speaks at unusual times. We should learn that God acts in unusual ways, and then we should listen because God speaks at unusual times. Now, it's surprising in a way, every time I read this story, I kind of get amused that we're looking at Joseph because nobody else ever looked at Joseph. Nobody else ever thought about Joseph. Matter of fact, let me let you a little secret. For you parents out there and your grandparents out there, let me just let you a little secret. If your child or your grandchild is ever asked to be in a Christmas play, if they're ever, ever asked to be a part, to play the part of Joseph, don't brag about that. Because what they're trying to tell you is your kid's never going to Hollywood, okay? Because no one will ever win an Academy Award for Best Actor for playing Joseph in the Christmas story. Nobody's ever even going to win an award for best supporting actor in a Christmas story if they play Joseph. You won't even win an award for best non-supporting actor if you play Joseph. You know why? Because if you ever play Joseph, let me tell you what you'll do. Basically nothing. And let me tell you what you'll basically say. You won't say a word. Because the interesting thing about Joseph is, you know, if you ever go to a Christmas play and you watch Joseph, if they're true to the biblical narrative, you know all Joseph ever does in a Christmas play? He just stands by Mary. Kind of what a lot of husbands do, right? He just kind of stands by Mary. He never talks. Because did you know in all of the New Testament, did you know there are no recorded words of Joseph anywhere in the Bible? You never read where Joseph ever said anything, and yet the Bible makes it very plain that one of the greatest men in all of the Bible is this man named Joseph. You say, well, I don't understand. If Joseph never says anything, why is he even in the story? Why is he even named? They could have just said, you know, Mary was betrothed to a man and never even mentioned that. Why did God want us to know who this man was. Why did God want us to know he was a just man? Well, there were two things that Joseph did with extraordinary excellence. Number one, he listened. And number two, he obeyed. He listened. He had his radar up. He didn't touch the dial. He had his radio tuned to the right station. He listened. And when he heard what God told him to do, he obeyed. Listen to verse 20. But as he considered these things, in other words, he, what he was saying was, he was thinking through, okay, now how am I going to divorce Mary and do it in such a way that her parents are not all that hurt, that she's not all that hurt? How can I do this quietly so that I keep the shame factor down as little as I possibly can? But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, look at this, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, you talk about why we ought to listen because God speaks at unusual times. You, you, you think about this. He doesn't even bother to speak to Joseph when Joseph's awake. He speaks to Joseph when he's asleep. You know, I tell young pastors sometimes that I talk to, they'll, they'll, I get this question asked. They'll say, they'll say James, how do you handle it when people go to sleep when you're preaching? And I, I really mean this. After I read this text, I just said, you know what? I'm just not going to be bothered anymore when I look out and see somebody sleeping during my sermon because maybe God's trying to get through to them. Maybe God's trying to tell them something I don't know. 
Now, what I wish God would be saying to them is, wake up. Okay, I don't know. I'm just simply saying that, that, that God takes this opportunity. Joseph has gone to sleep. He's thinking on these things, and the angel talks to him. Because from the moment that Joseph saw that baby bump, there was one question burning in his mind. It's the same question that would have burned in your mind if you're a, if you're a normal male. Who's the dad? Who is the daddy of this baby? Who is the one that fathered this child? And so Joseph goes to sleep with that question on his mind. I know I'm not the daddy. Who is the daddy? And God answers back in a way that would shake the world with two words. I am. I am. Now there were two people that knew the secret. Joseph and Mary. Mary had not lost her virginity. She had gained a child. And it was through the miraculous conception about the Holy Spirit. Now, have you ever thought about this? I thought about this when I was working on this sermon several weeks ago. Why did God wait? Now, think about this. I bet you've never thought about this before. This hit me when I was, I was, think, I was down in my study, and I got to thinking, why did God wait until the baby bump to tell Joseph? I mean, wouldn't things have been so much easier if God had come to Joseph first? Think about this. Would, this is the way I would have done it. Wouldn't it have been so much easier if God had come to Joseph first and said, Now, Joseph, let me get you ready. In just a, a month or so, you're going to see this little bump on Mary, okay? And it's going to be a baby bump. Let me just go ahead and let, let you know right now that, uh, I mean, Joe, just get ready. You're going to see a baby bump. Don't worry. She's a virgin. She's going to remain a virgin. The baby is for me. Now, that raises questions. You say, you know, I hope you'll say that is a good question. Why did God wait until the baby bump? Why did God wait until it was obvious that Mary was pregnant till he told Joseph what was going on? Let me tell you what I think. I believe that God speaks in unusual times because he wants to test our faith and he wants to toughen our faith. Because, see, this is the way we want God to operate. You know what? And let's just be honest. How many of you would agree with this? I would love for God to tell me what's going to happen tomorrow. You agree with that? I would. I'd love to know what's going to happen tomorrow. But you know what? If God told me what's going to happen tomorrow, I wouldn't need to trust God. That's why God says in his word, you just worry about today. I'll take care of tomorrow. You know why God does that? Because God wants us to trust him. God wants us to believe him. You know, even though doctors and scientists and gynecologists would say, impossible, that just absolutely can't happen, Joseph had to make a decision. When he was in that dream and God spoke to him, when he woke up out of that dream, Joseph had to make a decision. Am I going to act on what God has told me or not? Am I going to obey what God has said to me or not? Because I want you to hear this. When you're tempted to turn the dial of your life away from God and away from his word, you had better not. Because God not only speaks in unusual times, God will always speak at the exact moment you need to hear from him. That's why, you know what frustrates me is when people go through a tough time in their life, and here's what they'll do so often, they'll drop out of church. The very time they need to be in church, they drop out. I cannot tell you. There's a couple right now I know about. They're going through tremendous marital difficulties. And I did a series called I Do Math back in the, the summer. You may remember it. They needed to hear every single thing I preached in that message. Everything. They missed it. Why did they drop out? Because they're having marital difficulties. 
And see, just about the time we turn the dial is just about the time God would have spoken if we just let the dial alone. I, I remember a little more than 10 years ago, I was struggling whether or not I was going to plant this church. And, and I, you know, I, was really, I really was struggling. I kept asking myself, do I really want to leave a church where I've been pastoring for almost 20 years? The ministry's going great. I got great facilities. I got a huge staff. I'm deeply loved. I'm respected. Why do I want to leave this and go plant a, a, a church in a school cafeteria with a couple of hundred people? Do I really want to put a television ministry on the line I spent 10 years building knowing I might very well lose the whole thing? And I mean, I'm going through this struggle in my heart and in my mind. And, and, and so I, I had a doctor's appointment. I was going for a checkup. And I went in and sat down in the doctor's office. And I, I'm, I'm really thinking these, these thoughts are going back and forth in my mind. Do I? Don't I? Do I stay? Do I go? Do I plant? Do I not plant? All those things are going through my mind. And, and, and this thought came to me as I was sitting there on the couch. You could stay right where you are and just coast the rest of your life. That was a thought that hit me. You could stay right where you are and just coast the rest of your life. We've all had these experiences when we hear that voice, and then we're trying to figure out now, is that God speaking? Is that me speaking? Is that the devil speaking? I mean, who's, you know, who, who, who's, who's really speaking into my heart? So I just said to myself, you could stay where you are the rest of your life, and you could just coast the rest of your life. And I just about convinced myself, yep, I'm going to stay. I'm not going to do this. I was just about to change the dial. And I picked up a copy of Forbes magazine just at random. Just picked up a copy of Forbes magazine. And I just opened it up at random. And, and um, so help me, this is the truth. And as I opened it up, there was a little blocked off quote on the side of the page. And here's what it said. It said, remember, when you're coasting, it's all downhill. I almost looked around to see if God was right beside me speaking into my ear. But let me tell you, when I read that quote, I knew God had spoken to my heart. I knew, I said, I'm not a coaster, I am a climber. And I knew God had spoken to me. And I knew God at that point, point expected me to do two things. Listen to what he had told me and obey what I'd heard. I, I can't, listen, you will never know how close I came to forgetting this whole thing. I was that close to saying, I'm not doing this. And God said, don't touch that dial. And I just have to say this. When I look out at you week after week after week, I'm so glad I didn't touch that dial. I'm so grateful I didn't touch that dial. I'm so glad because I have the joy week in and week out of pastoring such a wonderful church. Here yesterday, Teresa and I were here yesterday, and we were talking about it when we got back home. What an unbelievably sweet church we have. We just got a sweet church, got great, 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 great people. And I mean, we've got the kind of people, we tolerate people that wear Auburn sweaters. They're so arrogant, so prideful, but we love them and we welcome them with open arms and we pray they'll come to know Jesus. And so, you know, we're just, we're that kind of church. So why should we not touch the dial? Why should we not do that? Well, number one, we've got to learn God acts in unusual ways. And we've got to listen because God speaks at unusual times. And then thirdly, we should always look because God accomplishes unusual things. Now, God goes on to tell Joseph exactly what's about to happen. Verse 21, Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, you know, we read, we've read that verse many times, and it's such a thrilling verse. It's such a great truth. But can I just be honest? Every time I read that verse, I say, poor Joseph. 
not only does he not get to conceive the kid, he didn't get to name the kid. God says, you can't even name him. I'm, we're going to call him Jesus. I read the other day, I, I, I got to tell you, there, there was a mother in New Jersey, and she had twins, a boy and a girl. And she was from Yugoslavia, and in that country, in Yugoslavia, the mother is not supposed to leave the hospital until a relative names the baby. Somebody's got to name the baby. Well, her husband was away on a business trip halfway around the world. He couldn't get home for two days. She didn't want to just hang around the hospital. She wanted to go home. So she asked her husband's brother, who was from New Jersey, she said, would you name the twins? He said, I'd be glad to. So when the husband finally got back home, he thought the wife would still be in the hospital because he hadn't been there to name the babies, but he was shocked when he got home. She was there with the babies. And so he, he said to her, he said, whoa, 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 who named the babies? She said, well, your brother did. And he said, well, what did he name them? And he said, well, like she, he named our daughter Denise. He said, well, what did he name my son? She said, he named him the nephew. Now, Now, the human name, listen, the human name for this baby would be Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Yeshua, which is the Hebrew form of the English name Joshua. It literally means God saves. And the reason why God said to Joseph, you name him Yeshua, you name him Joshua, you name him Jesus. The reason why he did that is because he wanted Joseph to know let me tell you who that baby is. He's God. And let me tell you what that baby does. He saves. God saves. Let me tell you something. I wish, I wish I could have been there when that angel, when the Holy Spirit said to Joseph, you call him Jesus. I'll bet you Joseph almost fainted because that was great news to this Jewish man because do you understand that for centuries the Jewish nation had been awaiting this Messiah? They had been awaiting this Savior? And then Jesus, Joseph saw something even more unusual. He said, oh, by the way, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, we don't think that's a big deal. We don't, we don't even pay attention to that because we've heard that all of our life. We grew up believing, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Jesus died to save us from our sins. Here's the problem. 2,000 years ago, that's not the kind of Savior, that's not the kind of Messiah, that is not the kind of Deliverer that the Jewish people were waiting on. That's not what they were expecting. Remember, the Jewish people had spent much of their existence not in freedom, they spent it in slavery. For 400 years, they were slaves to the Egyptians. After that, they were slaves to the Babylonians. After that, they were slaves to the Assyrians. Now they're slaves to the Romans. And yet... The angel says to Joseph, this little baby is coming to save his people, not politically from a sovereign. He's coming to save them spiritually from their sin. And even though this name was a common name, this listen, this is this is this is this will bless you right here. You do know Jesus was a common name 2,000 years ago. They're, they're, Jesus wasn't the only kid running around Israel whose name was Jesus. You say, well, what made his name then so special? He is the first boy and the only boy in the history of the world that was ever given that name and could live up to it. He is the God that saves. You see, the single cause of every problem we have on this planet is sin. And God had just announced to this Jewish father that 
I have sent a solution to the biggest problem you've got, to the biggest problem your family's got, to the biggest problem your nation has, to the biggest problem the world has. I've just sent the solution to that problem, a Savior. So the story closes in verses 23 through 25. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph has a dream. God speaks to him. He wakes up. He listens. And he obeys. Now, this is what I love about Joseph. When Joseph wakes up, unlike a lot of us who would have been saying something like this, did, did I really dream this? Did I just dream God spoke to me, or did God just speak to me in a dream? He never questioned it. When Joseph wakes up, his only response is to do what God had told him to do. Now, think about this. What if Joseph had awakened from that dream and just said, too much Mexican? This really didn't happen. I just don't believe that what I've heard. If Joseph had changed the dial of his life, he would not have witnessed the greatest, most momentous, life-changing birth in the history of the world. And I want you to hear this. I'm going to make this real practical. As we go through life, and this is true of all of us, as we go through life, you're going to find things don't always go according to plan. As you go through life, you're going to find that the way you think things would turn out are not the way things would turn out. As you go through life, you're going to find that the card you thought was the number seven was instead the ace of spades, or the card that you thought was the ace of spades instead was the joker. Because go back to this story. Mary never planned to be pregnant before she got married. Joseph never planned to adopt a child that wasn't even his. But because neither Mary nor Joseph touched that dial, one became the mother of God. And the other one had the privilege of being the only man who ever lived who heard the Son of God call him dad. All because they said, you know what? We're not going to touch that dial. Because when life is hard, and I got news for you out there, life's hard. And when times are tough and things are difficult, and you start thinking about giving up, giving up on the church, giving up on your marriage, giving up on truth, giving up on prayer, and sometimes even think about giving up on God or giving up on yourself. Don't touch that dial because God still acts in unusual ways and God still speaks in unusual times and God still accomplishes unusual things. To those of us who will just stay tuned, let's pray together. With his bowed, with eyes closed.